How's everybody doing this morning? Good. Well, good morning and welcome. Uh, my name is Ramon, and my wife Yvette and I, like Gino said, we lead a small group here at the South Suburban Vineyard, and we want to welcome any of you who are first-time guests. Uh, we're glad to have you here with us this morning. We also want to extend a welcome to those of you who are listening uh, through our podcast. Have you ever failed at anything in your life? Me personally, I've had some major wins, but I've also had some major, major fails. And just a few months back around wintertime, my wife Yvette, she found a free event. She discovered a free event that was going on at the Homewood Racquetball Club. Um, It was to help kids learn how to play tennis. And um, she said, we should take the kids. And I was kind of like, I'd rather be in my PJs, eating cereal. But I decided to take one for the team and let the kids have some fun. So that was a win. But what happened next was a major fail. So we get to the racquetball club, and I see this guy. And I'm like, man, I know this guy from somewhere. I, I, know, I, I, I see some kind of familiarity. And Yvette points out that this guy, he's a parent of one of the children, one of the kids who went to uh, Siena school last year. And so I just felt when she said that, that I should be talking to this guy like maybe God wants, wants to do something in his life. And so we exchanged small talk, exchanged names, started talking, but it never went any further. I just kept debating in my mind whether I should engage further in further conversation. He, I was on one couch. He was across on another couch, and we both were playing with our phones, and I was thinking to myself, uh, maybe he's looking at playoff scores. I don't want to bother him, or maybe he's playing some game. I don't want to do anything. And finally, we all just left the racquetball club. Major fail. I really felt like God wanted to do something in this guy's life, like maybe this was a divine appointment, but I failed to do my part. And one of the reasons why I failed to do my part is because I just thought maybe this guy didn't want to hear about God. And it could have been that I assumed that, you know, because he smelled like weed smoke, that maybe God wasn't on the top of his priority list. And so as, you know, I I thought about it, I said, well, maybe God is on the top of his priority list. Maybe he is one of these people who is seeking God. And so we've been talking, we've been going through this series called Jesus is for Everybody. And we've been talking about how God engages all different kinds of people. We've been going through stories of different people's encounter with God. And one of the goals we have for this series is to begin to see people as God sees them. God sees people and wants you to engage with people who you may not think would fit the category of wanting a relationship with him. They may not fit your particular cultural or neat religious categories. And so most of the time you look at people who are different from you and you may automatically think this person doesn't want to hear about God. And it's even harder when you see somebody who's living in open rebellion against God. You, you think that they don't want to hear about God when actually those are the type of people that God is seeking. In Luke 5.32, when uh, the religious leaders asked Jesus, why are you hanging out with the unsavory types or the sinners? Jesus says that um, he didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus is for everybody. Another goal that we have for this series 
is to eliminate the idea that some people are untouchable or unworthy of eternal life and forgiveness. No one is barred from being included in God's family and experiencing a relationship with Jesus. And finally, the last goal we have for this series is to communicate the truth that no matter what you've done or who you are, you're welcome in God's family through believing in Jesus Christ. And for those of you who are not yet followers of Jesus, you may be currently investigating and seeking out uh, what's going on with this God thing. And you may have a lingering thought that this church thing isn't a fit for you. But I want you to know that there's room at God's table for you. Some people may not fit our cookie cutter categories. They may be culturally different or they may be just plain weird to us. But they're the kinds of people that God is seeking after. And in this sermon, we're going to look at a man who didn't fit neatly into the cultural categories of the time. And so I'm calling this talk the Ethiopian unit. Um, if you can, turn in your Bibles to Acts 8, 26. If you don't have a Bible, you can find one on the edge of your row. And you could also use your phone or your tablet. And we'll also have the words on the screen for you as well. Before we begin, let's pray. God, I just thank you for bringing us all out here. And uh, most of all, I thank you for your word that's powerful. And I just pray that you would just use my words to just shed light on what you have for us today, to shed light on the fact that Jesus is for everybody. And God, I just pray that these words would um, speak to our hearts and that you would breathe Um, life into the words that I give today. In Jesus' name, amen. And so Acts 8 and 26, it reads, As for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him, Go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and he met the treasurer of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under the Kandake, the queen of Ethiopia. The eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and he was now returning. Seated in his carriage, he was reading aloud from the book of the prophet Isaiah. The Holy Spirit said to Philip, go over and walk along beside the carriage. Philip ran over and heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. Philip asked, do you understand what you're reading? The man replied, how can I unless someone instructs me? And he urged Philip to come up into the carriage and sit with him. The passage of scripture he had been reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb is silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. He was humiliated and received no justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, was the prophet talking about himself or someone else? So beginning with this same scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. As they rode along, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? He ordered the carriage to stop, and they went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch never saw him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Meanwhile, Philip found himself farther north, at the town of Azotus. He preached the good news there and in every town along the way until he came to Caesarea. 
as we look at our text, we see a significant turning point in the book of Acts. Now, the book of Acts, I love the book of Acts, and most people call the book of Acts the Acts of the Apostles. But some people have chosen to call it the Acts of the Holy Spirit. And what we see here is the Holy Spirit initiating a significant turning point in the life of the church. See, up until now, the gospel has been preached only to Jews, and it's been confined to Jerusalem or the home base of the Jews. It hasn't reached people who are outside of of Judaism or people who are familiar with the Old Testament. And now we get a preview, sort of a snapshot of what God wants to do regarding the whole world and the nations. He wants the gospel to be preached not just to the Jewish people, but to the rest of the world. And so from the beginning, from the beginning of the early church, we see that Jesus is for everybody. In Acts chapter 8, we see the beginnings of this as Philip preaches to the Samaritans and also to the Ethiopian eunuch. See, the Samaritans and and the Ethiopians, they weren't Jews, but they were kind of in that middle ground. There were people who were not Jews and weren't fully accepted as Jews, but they were familiar with the Jewish scriptures. And so God uses this man named Philip to preach the gospel to them. In Acts chapter 6, we get a little background on Philip. Philip was one of the seven men who were chosen to carry out the task of making sure the widows of the church were fed. And when you look at the seven men who were chosen, you'll notice something. They were all cross-cultural. They were all different. Um, they They were Jewish men, but they had Greek names. And so Philip is selected as one of them because not only is he cross-cultural, but he's also a man who's full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. And so God uses Philip, who is for all accounts an ordinary man. He's not a big shot. He's not an apostle. He's not a bishop. (laughs) But he's full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. And and what I love about that is that God wants to use each and every one of us, no matter what our status is, no matter who we are, he wants to use us and he wants to empower us with the Holy Spirit to reach out to others. And so God uses, uses this man, Philip, who's full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom to preach to the Samaritans and a mass spiritual awakening happens, a mass revival happens. And so in the midst of this mass spiritual awakening, the first thing we see is that God spoke to Philip. In verse 26, he tells him to go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. And so the first thing we notice is this whole incident, this encounter with the Ethiopian eunuch is set off by the voice of God. And I find that interesting because it it wasn't that Philip had a strategic plan to reach out to Ethiopian eunuchs. He didn't gather everybody in a room and say, okay, let's go over all the tactics and strategies. Let's get a whiteboard and what are the methodologies to reach out to Ethiopian eunuchs. There was no plan. In fact, that was the farthest thing from his mind. It took God sending an angel to get Philip to go to Gaza, a place that was 50 miles away and out of the way. It was far from Samaria. And from this vantage point, that makes sense to us because we know what happened in the story. But from Philip's vantage point, it makes no sense whatsoever. I'm in the middle of this revival. I got people coming to Christ. Why would you send me 50 miles away? And so 
What I notice here is that God doesn't promise Philip anything. He just tells him to go. He doesn't promise him that ABC will happen. He just has to trust God and do what he says. And so for those of you who are not followers of Christ, it may sound strange that we're talking about God speaking today, but as followers of Jesus, we believe that God speaks today. The issue is not whether or not God is speaking. The issue is whether or not you are listening, whether or not you have your antennas up to hear what he's saying. And no, we're not talking about God speaking in an audible voice like, Ramon. God doesn't always speak like that. But God usually sends messengers. God usually sends people to us to tell us what he wants us to do. God sometimes uh, uses a long line at the grocery store to send a message to us that he wants us to do something right then and there. God is trying to say some things to us if only we open up our hearts to listen. And not only did Philip listen, but Philip obeyed God. See, it's one thing to listen, but Philip also obeyed. He obeyed God. He didn't didn't hesitate. In verse 27, it says that he started out down the road to Gaza. And God isn't expecting a lot from us. He isn't expecting a lot from us, but that he wants us to start out in doing what he says. It doesn't matter if you know the outcome. God wants you to step out in faith. And you may be looking for success and you may want everything to work out the way you envisioned it, but God's not concerned about that. God is concerned about one thing and one thing only, obedience. And that's something that needs to be constantly drilled into our minds, constantly drilled into our minds, not not success, but obedience, not success, but obedience. Because if you concentrate on obedience, success will follow. Maybe not in the world's eyes, but definitely in God's eyes. You know, if you want to be bold for God, if you want to experience the excitement that comes from sharing your faith, then obedience has got to be a priority, a higher priority than success. I can remember doing campus ministry, and there was a time, there was a season where I did a fast from TV and movies for like three months. And I know you're like, oh, that's excruciating. Why? You're some kind of masochist. (laughs) But it was actually one of the most amazing times with God that I've had in my life. And while I was doing this fast, me and another ministry leader, we ran into this, uh, this guy and these two girls. And somehow we got into this discussion about what the definition of real love is. And as they were talking about, you know, different definitions of love, I was just itching to break out my Bible and read 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. And so I kept debating it, going through my mind how I was going to introduce it. But instead of like being smooth with it, I just pulled out my Bible (laughs) and just started reading it. And as I read it, uh, one of the young ladies said, That's crazy because the night before, I had a dream about a little boy named Corinthian. And she was shocked and amazed that God was speaking to her right then and there and that he had her on his mind. It's a beautiful thing when you step out in faith and are obedient to God. You know, in the vineyard, vineyard people can't spell. 
In the vineyard, we have a saying. Faith is spelled R-I-S-K. Faith is spelled risk. And it's probably one of the only misspellings that's true. (laughs) Philip stepped out and took a risk. He didn't know what was on the other side of his obedience, and you may not either. God may be telling you to mention the name of Jesus to a coworker or just share that you went to church over the weekend. And you may think that you may feel hesitant to do it. You may think that they'll think you're weird or a fanatic, but you don't know that. And God may be nudging you to go across the street and talk to that neighbor. And you might think, oh, that's old fashioned or that seems like an invasion of, of, uh, invasion of their space. But you don't know that. God wants you to step out in faith and risk in those moments so he can show you what's on the other side of your obedience. It's through, through your obedience that he can show you how he's desperately seeking and reaching out to those who you may have uh, just written off as not really for Jesus or not really seeking after God. And so Philip, he listened, he obeyed. And after that, God kept speaking to Philip in verse 29. It says, the Holy Spirit said to Philip, go over and walk along beside the carriage. And so God kept giving Philip guidance. One of the things that you may struggle with, I know I struggle with this, is that when it comes to obeying the leading of the Holy Spirit, God doesn't give you a step-by-step plan. He doesn't lay it all out at once. You have to discover what he wants you to do with each and every step of, of obedience. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that God wants you to be in relationship with him. If he gave us all the plan, if he gave us the plan all at once, then we probably stopped listening to him. We probably stopped dialoguing with him. We think that we had it all together and we had it locked down and we were self-sufficient. As human beings, we have a tendency to idolize the plan. And God wants you to stay open to his guidance so you don't always look at the plan, but you stay close to the planner. But I'm going to be honest, it's hard. Like, I wish I could just download the master 20-year plan for Ramon's life right now. I know you guys probably wish you could do the same for your lives as well. I wish I could download a five-year plan or even a 24-hour plan. (laughs) But it doesn't work that way, and it's not that simple. Instead of having a 20-year master plan, it's best to stay close and in relationship with the master planner. See, what you need most is not a master plan. You need the master planner. And as we see the master planner at work in Philip's life and in the Ethiopian eunuch's life, we know that God not only spoke, we see that God not only spoke to Philip, but we also see that he spoke to the Ethiopian eunuch. He put this particular man on this particular and specific desert road for a reason. A lot of times we tend to categorize people and we say that they're beyond God's reach. And when we look at the Ethiopian eunuch, we'll see all the different barriers that he had in having faith in God or or coming to faith in God and how God divinely orchestrated this moment for somebody just like him with all of these barriers, with all of these different things that would make him different and not a prime candidate in some people's eyes to receive the gospel. And as we look at the Ethiopian eunuch, 
the first thing we notice is he's Ethiopian. He's from a faraway country. In fact, he's traveled hundreds of miles from home. He was one of the first non-Jewish people to receive the gospel. He wasn't an insider. He was an outsider. He was the first person in scripture of African descent to believe in the gospel. So the first thing we notice is that he was culturally and ethnically different from Philip. He was somebody who came from a distant land and he wasn't part of normal, everyday Jewish life. Another way that he was an outsider was the fact that he was a eunuch. He was somebody who was on the margins. A eunuch is somebody who's been surgically altered, who who does not have a desire for women and can't have children. And in ancient times, that was something that was highly valued. Children and procreating was the normal way of doing things, and he was somebody who was different, who stepped out of the conventional way of doing things. And so he was outside and on the margins. The eunuch just didn't fit in. And there are many people who don't fit into our cultural categories. Some of you may think that people with tattoos or piercings are not prime candidates for the gospel. You may think that people with different political views or who wear different types of clothes are not prime candidates for the gospel. You may think that somebody with an accent that's different from yours wouldn't want to hear the gospel. They may be different, but they're not far from God's reach. Jesus is for everybody, especially for outsiders, especially for people who are different from us. Another thing we notice about this Ethiopian eunuch is that he was an important man. In verse 27, it says that he was an official in charge of the treasury. In other words, he was in charge of the government of Ethiopia's finance. And although he was an outsider, he was a man of influence. And God goes after people of influence. He knows that if he can get a person of influence whose heart is devoted to him, he can move things. He can change the world. And so many times I've been disobedient to God and I didn't share the gospel around people of influence. And it's easy for me to share the gospel with like a homeless person. It's like, hey, you need to get your life together. You need, you know, food check, gospel check. You need to get it together. And it's easy for me to share the gospel with kids. It's like, hey, this is a captive audience. I'm in charge. You need to listen to me. But when people have power and wealth, my lips get sealed. My tongue gets stuck. And the thing that I always have to bring to mind is that Jesus died for this person. And no matter how much power, no matter how much money, no matter how much influence they have, if they don't have Christ, they will spend eternity without him in hell. People of influence need Jesus too. And so we see that the Ethiopian eunuch was an outsider. He was a person of influence and he was also a seeker. As we look in the text in verse 27 and 28, it says that he had gone to Jerusalem to worship and that he was reading aloud from the book of the prophet Isaiah. Now on the surface, that doesn't say much, but when you think about the fact that this man traveled over 500 miles to go to the temple to worship God, that demonstrates, that shows that he had a hunger for God. He really wanted to know 
God. And to put it in, a, in another perspective, he couldn't even really get into the main part where everybody was worshiping. He was stuck in, in a place that they called the court of the Gentiles. It was kind of like being stuck at, in the lobby of the temple. It'd be the equivalent of going to, all the way to Paris and going to see the Mona Lisa and just waiting outside in line and asking the people that come out like, so, how was it? And they walk by like, crooked smile. Or it'd be the equivalent of going to the Taste of Chicago and knowing you don't have any money, but just smelling the food. It's like, mmm, cheesecake. Yeah, that's cheesecake. Mmm, that's, that's chicken. Mm-hmm. This was the Ethiopian eunuch's predicament. He didn't have um, the right pedigree to be included and in, in be fully included in the worship of God, but he had heard about the God of Israel and wanted to know more about him. And many of the people that you work with, many of the people that you go to school with, people that you see on the train, they're just like this Ethiopian eunuch. They may not have the right language. They may not be able to articulate biblical truths, but they have a hunger to know the God of the universe. And you may think that coworker or that neighbor is hostile to God, hostile to Jesus. You may think that they'll reject any discussion about Jesus. And they may be hostile to church. They may be hostile to things that Christians have done in the name of Christ, but not necessarily hostile to Jesus. There are more seekers out there than you know. There are more seekers out there than you know. In fact, there was a recent Gallup poll that said 92% of people in America believe in God. 92%. Now, it may not be the God of the Bible, but at least they believe in a higher power. At least you have something to work with. Contrary to popular belief, most people are not hostile to God or Jesus. They may be indifferent. They may be apathetic, but not necessarily hostile. In fact, Ed Stetzer, a researcher for Lifeway Research Group, discovered that 61% of 20-somethings who don't go to church will go to a Bible study if a friend invited them. And 43% of those over 30 who don't go to church will go to a Bible study if a friend invited them. 61%. And you take 10 of your friends, that's six of them. You take 10 of your friends over 30, that's four of them. That's somewhere to start. People are waiting to hear about God, and God is orchestrating divine appointments, just like Philip had with this Ethiopian, for them to hear the gospel through you. And so God spoke to Philip. He spoke to the Ethiopian eunuch. And now we'll see not only how God spoke to Philip, but how God spoke through Philip. As Philip heard the man reading in verse 30, it says that as Philip heard the man reading from the book of Isaiah, he asked him a question. Do you understand what you are reading? It was a simple question. Do you understand what you're reading? But that simple question opened up the door to a meaty spiritual conversation. Now, a lot of times we think that when God wants us to speak to somebody, we have to have all our I's dotted and our T's crossed, that we have to give this grandiose theological address and, and know all of these answers. But 
I don't think that's the case. I think that God speak, speaks through us just by us being normal human beings, talking about normal human stuff. Asking someone how their day was could be the jumping off point to a meaty spiritual conversation. And just the other day, Yvette, uh, my wife Yvette sent me a text. And she texted me and let me know that the car wouldn't start. And immediately my head sinks at my desk like, oh, no, not another bill. (laughs) And so I leave work, drive to the parking lot where she is, give her my car. She drives home and I wait for a tow truck. I'm waiting and I'm super anxious, like, I wonder how much this repair is going to be. And then I'm kind of slightly low-key mad at God, like, come on now. Like, I do not need another bill. You know I do not need another bill. And finally, the tow truck driver arrives, and he, he tells me, he says, hey, uh, what, what shop are you bringing it to? And I tell him the shop, and he's like, why don't you come over to my shop? And immediately, I'm like, is this a scam? But somehow, I, you know, I overcame the whole feeling like it was a scam, and I decided, okay, I'm going to go with this guy to his shop. And I hopped in the tow truck, and immediately we started talking, and he was a Hispanic guy, and he zeroed in on the fact that you're a black guy, and your name's Ramon. <laughs> it happens a lot. It, it happens a lot. And so as we started talking, we started talking about California and Mexico. I've been to Mexico, and we started talking about the economy. And eventually, I actually got to explain the gospel to him. Not because I gave him some, you know, five-step plan, but because I just talked about normal human being stuff. So once Philip asked the question, the eunuch invited him up into his chariot. It says in verse 32, the man replied, how can I, how can I understand unless someone instructs me? And he urged Philip to come up into the carriage and sit with him. And it is here, it's right here that we see God not only speaking through Philip, but he's also speaking through the scriptures. The Ethiopian eunuch was reading a passage in the book of Isaiah, and this passage has traditionally been seen as a prophecy about Christ. The passage he was reading says, he was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb is silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. He was humiliated and received no justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. And so it's here where we see God divinely setting things up for Philip. The eunuch says to Philip, tell me, was the prophet talking about himself? Or somebody else. And the passage itself caused the Ethiopian eunuch to ask questions. It provoked thought. It made him hungry to know more. And I think that's where we see the power and the purpose of God's word. A lot of times we think the purpose of God's word is to beat people upside the head with it. Or to prove our biblical and theological accuracy. It's not to prove your points. But it's to give people a curiosity to know more about the God of the Word. The Word of God can give people a curiosity to know more about the God of the Word. And so we take people to God's Word so they can know the God of the Word. And so we see God speaking through Philip 
speaking through the scriptures. And now specifically, we see how God spoke through the gospel. The text says in verse 35, so beginning with this same scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. Philip, he didn't just leave him with the word. He took the eunuch to Jesus. The eunuch was seeking God, and Philip brought him to the only one who could quench his thirst. And this is where you need to take people. You need to take them to Jesus. It's not our worship services that ultimately matter. It's not our rituals. It's not our debates about evolution and science that ultimately matter. It's not about political policy and morality. Those things all pale in comparison to the good news of Jesus Christ. And so as he heard God speaking, the Ethiopian man responded to the gospel. And what we see here is that as Philip stepped out in faith and recognized that God was seeking the Ethiopian, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch both became a part of God's redemptive plan. In fact, the Ethiopian is so excited in verse 36, he wants to seal the deal. It says, as they rode along, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? He's so excited and so in love with the good news he's just heard that he's begging to be baptized. And sometimes God has orchestrated your life to reach just one person. You may think you're in a certain job or in a certain neighborhood because you chose that job or you chose that neighborhood. Or in a negative way, you may be like, God, why am I at this job? Why do I live in this neighborhood? You may think that way, but God is thinking another way. God has you on assignment. God has you on assignment. And just like Philip, he has people waiting to hear the good news from you. But in order for that to happen, you have to look at the world with redemptive eyes. You have to see that nobody, nobody on this planet is beyond God's reach. You have to think of yourself as someone who, like Phil Strout, the national director of the Vineyard, says, somebody who wants to affect the redemptive history of the world. Do you believe that? That you're somebody who can affect the redemptive history of the world? That means that people you would normally write off and say they wouldn't be interested or they may be hostile to Jesus. These people are prime candidates for the gospel. It means that you will have to trust the Holy Spirit to, to lead you to people who are actively seeking God. And so Philip baptized them. It says in verse 38 that the eunuch ordered the carriage to stop and Philip baptized them. The eunuch was so affected by what he heard that he had to take action. And some of you today have not really heard the gospel of Jesus. You may have heard, do good and you'll go to heaven. You may have heard, go to church and pay your tithes. You may have heard, be a good moral person, but that's not the gospel. That's not good news. The good news is that Jesus died for you so, so that you can be forgiven. And no matter what you've done, you don't have to live with guilt or regret or shame. The good news is that Jesus rose from the dead so you can have a relationship with him now and in eternity. The good news is that you don't have to live your life trying to earn your way into heaven or trying to prove that you're worthy to exist. The good news is that Jesus brought heaven to you and he's proven that you're worth more than anything to him by dying on the cross for you. 
So for you right now, this is a divine appointment. This is a divine appointment for you to take action and respond to the gospel. And as we think about the Ethiopian eunuch's positive response to the gospel, we have to remember that God's plans are bigger than our plans. God's plans are always bigger than ours. It says in verse 39, as soon as they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. God sent Philip exactly for the Ethiopian eunuch, a seeker of God. Because of Philip's obedience, the Ethiopian's life was changed forever. God sent Philip down that desert road for one thing and one thing only, for that Ethiopian man's life to be radically altered by the good news of Jesus Christ. How do I know this? He never saw Philip again. That was their only encounter. In verse 40, it says that Philip appeared somewhere else. He was beamed up like Star Trek. And he kept allowing the Holy Spirit to lead him and preach the gospel in another place called Caesarea. But that wasn't the end of the story. See, the Ethiopian eunuch wasn't traveling alone. We said earlier that he was an important man, a man of influence. And so he would have been traveling with other people. He would have had an entourage. And so as Philip is speaking the gospel, preaching the gospel to this Ethiopian eunuch, he's also sowing seeds that will be planted in the lives of all of the people who were traveling with the Ethiopian eunuch. And not only that, but the eunuch went back to his nation as a changed man. The ancient church historian, church historian Irenaeus says that this Ethiopian eunuch continued his journey home and there became a missionary to his own people and thus bringing Christianity to the African continent and establishing the New Testament church. And so God had plans not only for this seeker of God, but he had plans for everybody who this seeker would come in contact with. And one day, a Sunday school, this reminds me of a story about a Sunday school teacher. And one day, the Sunday school teacher, he felt like God wanted to have him share his faith in Christ with this shoe salesman. And this shoe salesman, he was not somebody that people would have said is a prime candidate for the gospel. He dropped out of school in the fifth grade. He was rude. He didn't have any manners. He played practical jokes on all the shop owners. In fact, one shop owner, he played a practical joke that was so outrageous, the shop owner chased after him with a knife down the street. And so this guy could have been written off, but the Sunday school teacher shared the gospel with him. And that shoe salesman was D.L. Moody. You may have heard of D.L. Moody. You ever listen to Moody Radio? Drive by Moody Bible College in downtown Chicago? And D.L. Moody led thousands of people to Christ. And not only that, but he inspired a man named F.B. Meyer to preach the gospel. And F.B. Meyer preached the gospel. And he led a man to Christ named Wilbur Chapman. And after Wilbur Chapman accepted Christ, he decided he was going to work for the YMCA. And he employed this man named Billy Sunday to do evangelism through the YMCA. And Billy Sunday traveled to North Carolina for some special evangelism meetings. And afterwards, the, the people who put on the evangelism meetings wanted to keep it going. And they invited a guy named Mordecai Ham. And Mordecai Ham preached the gospel. And a young man named William Graham, a young man named William Graham, believed in the gospel and surrendered his life to Christ. And you may know William Graham, Billy Graham, 
a guy that's preached the gospel to millions and millions of people? What would have happened if that Sunday school teacher had written that shoe salesman off? Many people would have missed out on the gospel. And we'll never know the full impact of that Sunday school teacher because he decided that this guy who didn't fit all the right categories deserved to hear about Jesus. And so how do we tie this all together? And worship team, you can come up. Jesus is for everybody. Some of you here may have written people off and said, this person doesn't want to hear about God. There are people in your life who are outsiders. They may not fit the mold of being a good Christian. They may be different from you educationally, culturally, socioeconomically, or they may be just plain weird. There are people in your life who you have assumed do not need Jesus because they're important or a person of influence. You've pigeonholed them. You've categorized them as being beyond God's reach. And if the Ethiopian eunuch, who is ethnically different, who is culturally different, who is socially different, if he wasn't beyond God's reach, then those people in your life are not beyond God's reach. And those of you here who are not followers of Jesus, I want you to know that Jesus is for everybody. You may be sitting here today and you may feel like you're an outsider. You may feel like you don't have it all together. You may be an important person. You may feel that this doesn't apply to me, but it does apply to you. You may be seeking God and wondering what all of this stuff is about. You're not here by accident. God has set this moment up for you to hear the good news of Jesus. And so I encourage you to respond to this message and talk to me or somebody on the prayer team to investigate and discover the God who has been pursuing you all along. And those of you who are already followers of Jesus, I believe God wants you to stop writing people off. I believe God wants you to pencil people in. I believe God wants you to have a list of people who are man, maybe your neighbors or your coworker or even that person you always see on the train. They may be from another country. They may be weird to you for whatever reason. Maybe they vote Democrat or maybe they vote Republican. Maybe they have a weird hairdo, whatever it is. I believe God wants you to pray for them and pray that the Holy Spirit would give you boldness to step out of your comfort zone and share the gospel with them. We may, we may not be seeking these people out. In fact, sometimes we might consider them annoying. We may think that they're beyond our reach, but they're not beyond God's reach. He's seeking them out, and he desperately wants them to find a relationship with him. And so I encourage you to pray, and I encourage you to look at people not with eyes of judgment, not with eyes of apathy, but with redemptive eyes. Eyes that look past the tattoos, past their accent, past their political party, their wealth, or their culture. I want to challenge you to look at them with eyes that see their deepest need. Their deepest need is Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for your love that's so inclusive, that's so universal. There's nobody beyond your reach. God, I just ask that you would just begin to stir in our hearts that same love, that same passion for those who don't know you, and that we would stop writing people off, but that you would give us the right eyes to see 
the people that you've placed in our lives, the people that you've died for, the people that you want to have a relationship, uh, a relationship with you. God, I pray that we would not only um, have opportunities, but that we would be obedient and step out of our comfort zone. God, I pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit. Fill us with boldness. Give us your heart. We may not have it right now, but God, you can do the impossible. And I pray that you would give us a heart transplant. Give us your heart for the people who are on the margins, who are different. In Jesus' name, amen.